0: Welcome back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. This is your host, Yavitsa Djurjevic, and uh, today I've got uh, a fan favorite back on the podcast, uh, Mr. James Gilreef. James, how's it going?
1: Good, man. I'm glad to be back. Glad to be back on here as a fan favorite now, not just as a new guy.
0: Yeah, you were were the first fan favorite, actually, so uh, (laughs) it, it... it, you do still have, to this day, this is just a little uh, jest for everybody else who's been on the podcast, you've got the most downloaded podcast episode up to this point. Now, you also have the oldest podcast episode up to this point. So,
1: <laughs> so Well, that's neither here nor there. Here nor there. Yeah,
0: it's, it's just that there is a correlation as the older the podcast episodes are, <laughs> the higher the downloads are. Who would have thunk it?
1: Um, well, with this episode, we're going to smash that, and we're going to—you know—I'm into breaking records, and I'm very competitive, so okay. we're going to smash that today. We're
0: going to smash that record. So, I—I uh, I wanted to have you back on because, again, the—the the last episode was was found to a lot of fanfare, and um, just wanted to get some updates on some things that have happened since the last time we spoke. Some pretty impactful things in your life, and uh, just give uh, give the audience a brief uh, breakdown of what's happened since uh, since May when we. I guess it was the first week of May when we originally recorded the first episode.
1: Okay, cool. So I'll give you a little background, and then we can kind of unpack and hit wherever if it's most impactful. So uh, Go for it. Yeah, like right after, right after we met, I had a race coming up in Boston, and it was a great field, great race. And I was very excited about it because my fitness was at the top, uh, probably some of the best fitness I've ever had in my career. So I was super excited. And um, so once I got to Boston, I just started developing an Achilles tendon issue. And not to mention, I had a a stomach issue, which I hadn't been able to have diagnosed properly. And so, but I kind of was clouding that one and just making it happen, pushing through that in workouts, pushing through it in races, just making whatever happened happen because I was like, hey, this is an objective goal. I got to... Make it to national this year. I have to run my qualifying time. I want to make my PR better and the whole nine. So when I got to Boston, my Achilles was swollen. So it's swollen up like a, I don't know, just, you could obviously tell I had a cankle. Okay. I like I can't fat, fat person. Yeah. <laughs> my ankles were fat. So it didn't, it didn't even match my leg. But by this time, I was like, man, this is too late in the game. Like this opportunity is so great. And I really wasn't thinking rationally in that moment. Not at all. Not even like a trained athlete should think in that moment. Uh, but I was letting the moment overtake me and trying to make it happen in that moment. Because I was like, well, I can still run. if I can, Once I warm up and loosen up, because over the past couple of weeks, after I warmed up and loosened up, the Achilles got better. So long story short, the race went terribly. Uh, and it really had me at a at a bad place for a moment, just because I had so much build up and expectation behind that race, and I knew my training matched up with the expectation. So it's like let's make it happen. Um, so after that, I kept trying, kept pushing forward, tr- kept trying to qualify for national. So at the time, I had run a minute forty seven and seventy four one hundredths of a second, and so for the eight hundred meters. To qualify for the USA Track and Field Championships, you had to run one minute and 47 seconds, point five. So I was, two, I was 24 one-hundredths of a second off from of making the automatic qualifier. But not making the automatic qualifier does not curtail you from actually going to the meet as long as 32 guys or 31 guys in front of you have not hit the automatic qualifier. So, yeah. for instance, if 20 guys hit the automatic qualifier and – you're 21st with the time right outside of the qualifier. You'll, you'll be within that 32 field size, and you're able to go. So it turned out that I actually was able to qualify provisionally, but because of my injuries, I decided not to go. So before that, I was thinking that if I didn't qualify for Nationals, it would be the worst um, outcome of the season, and I had all these heavy thoughts hanging over me like a a big cloud like i I went all in this year i i've lessened my job down to 50 percent, which is great in terms of the work but it's terrible in terms of the pay (laughs) uh so (laughs) and i just i'll go into that later i have a great team of people who are able to have that flexibility with me you don't really see that much in the corporate environment but i was uh just thinking about all those things, all the sacrifices I made, and just going in so hard day after day, changing this, our whole structure to where I have two recovery days in the week instead of three or four, which I've had in the past. And just going in all those days. So going in, lessening my work schedule, completely revamping my life, looking at every detail, seeing where I can squeeze out a little more to get to the best, best of myself and then to have it curtailed by injuries. Was really disheartening, and I really went through some things and trying to reconcile it in my mind uh, afterwards. So, uh,
0: so what was wrong with Achilles?
1: Uh, just Achilles tendonitis. Hmm. So I, I'm not sure exactly what I did to it to aggravate it. Um, but it's it's still not. I kind of have a chronic issue with it now, but it's manageable. I just had to stay on top of it. Yeah, I just have to stay on top of my ice and make sure that Achilles is at the proper, appropriate length by stretching, and I'll be able to manage it. But I'm not sure. I guess I tweaked it, and it just kept swelling, and I had, like, a little bulb on it. So, like, I could run my finger down my Achilles, and it would come out like a, like I had, like, a little bead or something attached to it. It was weird. Hmm. So you, you had surgery on it, right? Not on the Achilles. I had a hernia repair surgery. Ah, okay. And before this, I really don't think I fully could conceptualize what a hernia was. What, what do you mean? Well, you hear people talking about hernias and, you know, <laughs> you get your, your physical. And that's the, the part of the physical. Everybody, when you're a kid, everybody used to run away from. Yeah. But I never really understood what it was. And for those who don't know what it is, it's just a weakness in the abdominal wall.
0: Yeah, basically your intestine Pokes through your abdominal.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so I didn't fully understand it, um, but now I definitely do. <laughs> I bet after surgery. So yeah.
0: So yeah. so you, have you not been running recently at all?
1: I just started getting back into it. So now let's see. Oh, I, this just made a month since my surgery. I had surgery on July seventeenth. So four weeks ago, I had my surgery on today. Four weeks ago, and um, so now. Two weeks post-surgery, I started kind of pitter-patter jogging. Yeah. Then I moved into every other day or every two days of jogging. And when I say jogging, I'm saying super light jogging. Yeah. So not like my typical jog. Um. So now I'm running every day, trying to increase the duration so I can get back into my rhythm and feeling like a normal human being when I run. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I think that's sure. an interesting thing to you talk about unpacking things. So going, you know, running and the, and the activity and the practice and the training that you've been going through over the last decade has been such an life and then to have it taken away from you for a month, basically, and to have the biggest event of the year in your profession taken away from you due to injury. I mean, what kind of impact did that have on you psychologically? Because uh, you know, maybe people can't relate to it from an, from an athletic standpoint, but you know, there are a lot of different things. I'll I'll give you an example. I had a buddy of mine tell me he was preparing for this presentation with this company, uh, on trying to get an account. And then last second, the, the individual at the other company that they were going to present to said, Oh, we're canceling the meeting. And and that's something he had been preparing for,
1: for a month. So,
0: Mm. um, talk to me about that. Talk to me about what it was like to, to lose that part of you for a while.
1: Uh, that was a really, really good example. Um, as far as losing that part of me, once I got over the, the initial very heavy disappointment and discouragement from putting so much into the training this season and the seasons preceding, but especially this season, once I got over the outcome of not being at my best and not having a PR and not reaching new heights this season, once I was able to get work through that, uh, not being, not having running as a part of me, I think it actually was necessary. I feel like I'd I'd gone so hard and put so much into it. I needed a break or I would have gone insane just thinking about it. So at that point I needed that separation from running. So normally when I don't go, when I go, I went two months without running, which is probably the longest time I've ever gone. Well, not ever, but in the past 10 years, in the past decade, it's probably the longest time I've gone without running. And it was so necessary. Because I just needed a, to take a step back to say, "Okay, you're good, James. You don't have to. Running is a is is what you do, but it's not necessarily your identity. Um, it's a way that you're chasing greatness. It's a way that you've chosen to manifest uh, these things, but it's not necessarily you. Yeah. And um, just had to slow myself down because I was just going, 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 and not really taking a t- chance to look around and observe things and think about the best way to get better and the best way to to, to chase this goal.
0: So would you say that part of you was – I think what's key is you just said there that, you know, it's the way you've chosen to manifest your talents, but it's not you. Do you feel like you were getting to a point where you were maybe – overly obsessing over a goal or over a strategy or over a uh, something that you had envisioned would, would give you validation?
1: Well, I want to choose my words carefully here. Yeah. I think anytime you have a passion behind something, you're going to be obsessive, but you need to channel it in a healthy way. I think I was Correct. channeling it in an unhealthy way in certain aspects. So I was, I was putting so much effort into it, which you have to, but, I wasn't obsessing about my rest in times when I needed to rest in the way that I needed to, so like okay, it's great to obsess about the workouts, but when you work that hard, you have to obsess about the rest just as much as you obsess about the workouts.
0: Yeah, recovery's key,
1: right, And so I did make a lot of changes and a lot of steps to to increase my rest, but at the same time, I didn't obsess about the rest the same way I was obsessing about the workouts. Yeah. So that was kind that of need sense. to be parallel. Yeah.
0: What? Well, why do you think? Why do you think it was such an extreme?
1: What was that there? You said extreme what?
0: Yeah. What? Why do you think you went to such an extreme in your head?
1: Well, I think I went so extreme. Are you talking about in terms of uh, just my reaction to? The yeah. Just moments?
0: like. No, no, no. What you said about you focused on the workout, but you didn't focus on the rest. And it, intellectually, oh. you know the rest is probably as important, if not more important, than the right. actual workout. Right. But, but what do you think drove you to, to, to the extreme of focusing solely on the front end and not on the back end?
1: Oh, that's a really good point. So I'm very ambitious, which a lot of men who are probably listening to this podcast are. You are as well. Mm-hmm. And that ambition just overwhelms me when I'm not seeing direct correlation, or I'm not seeing improvement in production. Like the workouts are where you're going to see the improvement, but the rest helps create that improvement. But you don't see anything with the rest. Okay? Yeah, it's like when when you plant a flower, or you plant a uh, if you plant a crop or something, you don't see the results immediately. So that's to me, like how the rest is, uh, how uh, how rest is like you don't see the direct correlation with that rest in your workouts. Yeah. So for me, being so ambitious and not thinking rational, that ambition is like a, a crazy emotion. Sometimes I want to create. I want to get better. So I keep putting myself in in all these things that can make me better because I can see those things making me better. So just filling all my time with that and going crazy with it, having so much ambition, I'm not channeling it in the right way. I'm uh, I'm do- going here to to do this run. I'm going here to sh- do this strengthening exercise. I'm going here, and that that's just kind of does that make sense? Yeah, it's, that?
0: yeah, yeah. What I heard you say is that the ambition, in a way, made you impatient. Right. Right. It's interesting. So so you being a competitor, a natural competitor and not being able to, you know, you qualified for the highest competition in your sport for the year, but you weren't allowed to participate. What psychological impact did that have?
1: By the time it actually happened to where I knew that I qualified, I was at peace with it. But beforehand, I was thinking in terms of, well, I'm not going to be there. I'm gonna be able to compete against the guys I compete against year after year because I made it to nationals. There's only one year in the past six or seven years that I haven't made it to outdoor nationals prior to this one, and just thinking, just feeling a void there, like having all the work to it would qualify me to be there, but no fruit. That was that was really disheartening at first
0: what, you know, what areas in your brain did that take you through? Because I know for me personally, and I've talked to other folks as well, when they've got something they've been shooting for and they either fall short or it doesn't happen the way they thought it would happen because, you know, our, our imagination is our, our worst enemy. We we immediately go to such an such a extreme on the negative side of things. I mean, what... How did how did you cope through that and, and, and really bring yourself to a point where it's like, OK, no, I, this is going to be all right. I know it's going to be OK and it's not the end of the world.
1: Throughout the injuries, my mind just was so scattering and, and so racy that I couldn't even have productive thought about this. And I didn't know if it was solely tied to this this disappointment, or if it was just a phase in life I was going through. I couldn't; my mind would just be racing. I had I had intention about doing other things outside of running. I figured, okay, this I can't run at my highest level right now. So, what can I do in my life to put me for push me forward? And I just I had so much intention, but I was just so exhausted. I was so exhausted. So. Coming to grips with that exhaustion and having that intention and then thinking, okay, well, maybe I put too much into running to where I'm burnt out now, right now. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't even, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't have productive thought about the period of time I was going through. I couldn't have productive thought about actually doing stuff during the day, like doing, managing my responsibilities and my job and in my relationships. I, I was just, it was the least productive I've ever felt. And, it, and as an ambitious person, it just made me feel terrible because I was accomplishing nothing. So yeah. I was just in this space for really a month and a half or so and just really trying to figure out what is this. And it's, I, I really couldn't grasp it.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's almost like no man's land that you were stuck in.
1: Right. And I never experienced that. It gave me a whole nother, um, another perspective on just the mind and what you go through in different periods and after things happen, after pouring yourself out like that, what can happen to your mind and just be drained and not have rational thoughts?
0: Well, it's, it's an interesting paradox because basically, and again, I'm not a kinesiologist or a physical therapist or anything like that. So this is just me using bro science to come to a conclusion, but, (laughs) but basically what happened to you is where, fundamentally it's wear and tear on your body for for ye- from years and years and years of really really intense workouts and competition and you know the body just starts breaking down it's just and you need to recover it at some point and that's okay that's just part of life so as you're getting older you're having things like injuries pop up such as this but then at the same time the 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 valley you just went through i mean i mean imagine if you went through this dark time 6 or 7 years ago with the maturity level of six or seven years ago at 23, 22, I mean, how would you have handled that situation at that point rather than how you handled it at this point in 29?
1: Oh man, I would have quit. You think so? I def, I definitely would have. I, I wouldn't know how to, I would, have, would not have known how to deal with it. Even though I'd gone through valleys and other portions of my life, I wouldn't have known how to keep pushing forward. Oh, so, oh, well, oh, this valley, would- go ahead.
0: No, no, no. Go ahead.
1: Go. I was gonna say, while this valley was really difficult, I grew so much from it, and I actually enjoy it thinking back on it now. Like, okay, this made me so much tougher. It made me so much more resilient. Now I know, and now I can operate. I start. am starting to learn how to operate in that valley because I had to for such a for such an extended period of time. At least what felt like such an extended period of time. When you're feeling like that for. A month and a half straight so I think going forward that's going to help me to operate so much better just knowing okay I got this obstacle over here I got this obstacle over here I can continue to push through and after I didn't have obstacles before but this was a consistent obstacle mentally that I was having to push through just that valley just feeling so low and then my body is just broken down but still trying to push through it and trying to be productive and every area of my life outside of running. And so, it just it brought me closer to God, too, because I felt like I could not make it on my own strength. I had to have supernatural power to help me through that period.
0: Hmm. So elaborate a little bit more on why you would have quit at 22, 23. I mean, it, really dig deep on that mindset of, how maturity and really, you know, getting kicked in the face a couple times more in life, just in general, makes you tougher relative to how yeah. you would have responded at that point.
1: At 22 or 23, I would have identified the obstacle, what made me feel that way, which I would mostly correlate to running, training, the disappointment. I would say, man, this is not worth it. I would mm-hmm. have, I wouldn't have attached. Now I see obstacles and challenges as growing tools. But back then, I did at some level, but at the, the level that that valley in that period of time was, of how low I was feeling and how broken I was feeling, uh, I would have said, Man, this is not worth it. Now, realizing that when I come out on the other side, I would have been so much bigger and been able to stand so much taller because of that valley.
0: It's a common, have you noticed this just in society in general, particularly amongst our generation? There's a lot of the it's not worth it commentary going
1: around yeah there's so much so much of that and i think a lot of it a lot of focus is put on time because what they call us with the microwave generation yeah so people are like well if i'm putting my time in this and i'm not getting something back instantly then what's it worth so then people just go from one thing to the next because it's not working in microwave time
0: yeah but it's, it's interesting i i was talking to um the parish priest at the church where my sister and brother-in-law go. He had The priest had actually married them, Father Stephen Freeman, mm. who's uh, actually quite famous. If you Google him, you'll, you'll find a lot of stuff about him. But I, I was talking to him, and he said, you know, in the 21st century in the United States, we've made the mistake of assuming that suffering is always bad. Mm. And he said, you know, even Christ himself said, pick up your cross, He didn't didn't say pick up your jumbo jet, okay? He said pick up your cross and follow (laughs) me. And and that that suffering, sometimes you have to go to the deepest of valleys to come out of that valley with a new and renewed sense of strength, with a new um, set of abilities that you have to overcome. Because now... You know, it's like the it's like the very first Milanism I ever said on the on the introductory trailer to the to the podcast. Where my dad always said, uh, "Experience in life is uh, you you can't buy it at the store. You have to feel it on your own skin." It's like life is like this uh, this hallway, and it keeps getting narrower and narrower. And uh, the the walls are actually you know glass. And and as you keep walking through the hallway, you get cut, and that's, each one of those is experience. But you know how to handle it past that point. And I, what I'm afraid of is that we're so obsessed with minimizing suffering in every capacity that we're almost as a generation losing the ability to to have uh, the strength to cope with suffering because it's going to hit you at some point. So, so it makes me wonder if that's why we've got such high levels of medication, such, um, such high levels of loneliness and depression and, and things like that, where it, it, you turn on the Snapchat or your Instagram or whatever, and everybody seems happy. So, so you never, you feel so alone in that suffering.
1: Ooh, you said a mouthful right there. I love that I know, analogy. I yeah, I love that analogy that your dad gave about the, the glass shards. And sometimes yeah. you get those, those big glass shards that make you question everything. Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't agree more. And I actually, one of my friends sent me a sermon during that time period, I think it was about Mac Tomlinson. I might be completely butchering that, but it was talking about enduring suffering and just as, as a Christian having to push through suffering and how natural that is. And everyone experiences that. And suffering is so natural, such a natural part of life that, it, like you said, in stark contrast to today's society when everyone is looking for this utopia and living your best life, which, I mean, you should have moments that you enjoy, but. Life is hard, and I. It's I would, really hard. hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even in the mo- in the most simplest of things, you realize how difficult it is. But that's the nature in it. So that's the th- with the nature of life being difficult. What do you, what are you complaining about? It, you have to elevate to the level to where you can operate through that. That's we were made tough enough to operate through mm-hmm. it. But I think we just have to remind ourselves daily because the culture. And everything around us is telling us, you're supposed to be happy. It's supposed to be easy. You're supposed to be able to push through. Look at this guy. He's making it happen easily. But what you don't see, you're only seeing what he posts on Instagram today at noon. You don't see what took, we talked about this last time, what it took to create that picture. Yeah. And we have to constantly remind ourselves that we need constant reminders that just push through. Push through because on the other side of this is going to be that happiness that you're seeking. But, you, but then that happiness is going to fade and you're going to have to push through something else. You're going to learn something else. You're going to have to, and once you learn that, you still have not reached the heights. You still have to continue to learn. It's just a constant continuum of growth, learning, and suffering. And joy is mixed in there too. It's, it's, they're all come together. You can't have joy without the pain. And that's such a cliche. But do people really understand what's behind that statement? You, it's easy to say it, but do you really understand what's behind that? Do you understand what you have to give up in order to get something? Mm. Can you really count the cost of what it is you're after? You have this goal. Do you really know what it takes to get there? Do you know all the steps? And are you actually enjoying the challenge? Because if you don't enjoy the suffering at a certain point, if you just don't grab a hold of it with a big old bear hug, you ain't going to make it. (laughs) Yes. Is the, the the philosopher Crunchy Black once said, you lost in the sauce." <laughs> the philosopher Crunchy Black. For anybody
0: who doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, there's just just Google "Lost in the Sauce" on YouTube with Crunchy Black, and it's you'll see. <laughs> uh, oh, wow, you really took it back to two thousand four. I uh, take it back. Wow. Well, but what you what you really harped on there is, I think it was Benjamin Franklin. I might be completely, you know messing this up but i think it was benjamin franklin that said if you plan to fail you you've or if you fail to plan you plan to fail and when you talk about attaining that happiness and attaining that uh levels of success and and knowing what it's going to take it's what you're really asking is do you have a plan do you have a strategic um plan of action that's going to give you the largest statistical probability of success that's all All you're doing if you want me to take you back to statistics class the financial advisor me says how do we lower standard deviation okay so that that's the key. But something you said earlier that um, when we talked about that loneliness piece, I mean, when you were going through this for this month
1: and a half, how lonely did you feel? I felt really lonely. And, and that's not because I didn't have people around me because I did. I have a great support team. You know, my, my coach, my, my girlfriend, my sister, my, my family. It just uh, family, people in church, some of my better friends I talk to on a regular basis, but. Your friendly podcast host? Yeah. Yeah, i was a <laughs> church mission. <laughs> but I, I had so many people around me, but I felt so lonely. For one, I felt like I couldn't articulate what was going on. I didn't even know what was going on. I could not articulate it. And I felt like I was, I was the only person that could fix anything, but I didn't know yet how to fix it. Yeah. And so that's why I just was praying to God on a consistent basis. Like, Lord, just help me. Help me to figure out what I need to do. I know I can't do it in my own strength. I need you to help me. I need you to guide me. I need you to send me something so that I can forward and figure out how to make this work. Because I I got to the point where I was like, okay, this might be my new normal of operating. I might be just operating with this big cloud in my mind. My mind was so cloudy. I might just be operating like that. So if this is how I have to operate, I I feel like with with your help, I can make it through. But I just need to know how. You got to tell me to know practically. Basically, I was asking him to help me with the plan helping him to help me with the plan with everything because I feel figured, okay, if this is how I'm gonna to have to operate. Like you said, lowering the the standard deviation, increasing the statistical chance that I can make it in whatever I'm doing, feeling like this.
0: Yeah. And I, I think what, what's key there is, you know, I've had this conversation with, um, with folks who are, who are atheists and, um, and, and they're, they're rational atheists. They're not like the super hardcore, I hate everything religion related. They just, they're probably better explained as agnostics. And, uh, you know, I'll make no qualms right. about who I am and what I believe and all those things. But we had a conversation. I explained to them that I said, hey, even if you don't believe in God, prayer is going to help you for the simple fact that the human neurological system looks for patterns. We feel most confident and comfortable in our surroundings. Our brain's wiring operates better when we have patterns in our life. So even if you believe that you're just talking to a wall three times a day, let's say morning, noon, and evening, that's still going to be better because it's going to create a neurological pathway in your brain that otherwise would not exist. Okay. And I will, I will cite all those studies in the podcast notes if you guys really want me to. Um, so it's, um, it it, it, now, obviously I think there's a spiritual component to it, but even just, um, taking, um, uh, taking the initiative to just create positive patterns in your life must have just helped exponentially. Um, and, and I don't know if 22 year old James would have been able to do that the way 29 year old James did.
1: Right. Most definitely not. <laughs> I'm just, I, I was just, my mind was drifting as you were saying all that. I was thinking about. Uh, Wilson the Volleyball from Castaway. <laughs> you know, it takes me a little bit.
0: Why would you Okay.
1: <laughs> when you when you mentioned talking to a wall, I thought about well, I mean, that's the same thing that Tom Hanks did when he was talking to, to Wilson the Volleyball and uh Castaway. Uh, Y'all should go watch that movie if you hadn't Okay,
0: it. okay <laughs> though. Well,
1: that was a that was a interesting sidetrack.
0: Um, so so you've got, you know, you've overcome this to this valley and the objective is that you're, you know, headed towards the peak now. I mean, what's, what's in store for you f- for the future as you look forward to the next, you know, obviously finishing off your recovery and, and getting away from jogging like an amateur, um, and, mm-hmm. and getting back to the peak. What's, what's the plan of action.
1: Right now, the plan of action is, um, uh, so build up my mileage back to normal, uh, get my pace, back to normal as far as easy pace. And then probably beginning of September, we'll start getting back into our normal training structure. And we'll probably spend a month of getting me back to the normal paces in my workouts. So going from just running, just doing straight running, going out for four miles or six miles, or two miles or three miles, whatever, to structured interval training, structured tempo runs at certain paces, structured long runs that are all pointing towards the pinnacle of the season, which next year will be the outdoor national championships and the world championships. So, um, so yeah, the next few months are going towards getting back on training, uh, get back on the the original training schedule. And then as the year turns into 2019, then we'll, Going into meets every couple weeks.
0: So what what and what will it take to qualify for the world championships?
1: What I the, the way the U.S. track and field is going in the 800 meters, I believe you need to you have to be able to run you have to be able to run one minute and forty three seconds and one minute forty four seconds to make it. That doesn't mean that a one forty five or even a one forty six won't make it. So if you can run 146, you always have an outside chance, but very low chance. Yeah. So you need to be able to run a minute 43 to have a solid chance, a really solid chance, because there's so many young guys coming up that are are able to do that now. So last year, I definitely thought I was on track to, to having a breakthrough and doing that. So this year is just about getting there again and building on that even further, building on the, the mental development, building on the physical development that I had last year. And I know it's still there, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about this challenge and having better planning on my end, being able to to, to see things clear. I, I feel like that's where my advantage is as an older guy, even though I'm still not old, but as an older guy in the field, um, that's my, my big advantage, I, I believe, just the experience I've had in life.
0: Yeah, it's, it, you've learned how to wait, basically. Right. You, you've learned patience that maybe a 21, 22 year old who may even be hypothetically more talented than you hasn't learned yet.
1: Right. And because right. I, I know. And that's why. I, uh, at... Go ahead. No, go uh, ahead. Uh, I was going to say that's why a lot of guys don't reach their peak until. Their late 20s early 30s because they learn how to do things like you said they're probably way more talented when they're in the early 20s just from a physical standpoint but they don't know how to express that fitness the best mm-hmm. way because for one they they met obstacles and then that just stifles their physical ability but as you get older you learn how to push through things and you learn how to motivate yourself and get every last drop of, of exertion and effort out as you get older so my performances have gotten better as i've gotten older but that doesn't necessarily mean my physical ability has gotten better it might have been the same or worse or it might have been better but we can't we can't know that but i know for sure my mental ability and the ability to push through things obstacles and experience has definitely gotten better yeah i mean my mind has been able to push my body to greater heights simply from experience
0: well and I mean, there's probably examples that you can think of when you were younger, when you were 20, 21, 22, where you might have gotten beat by a guy that you were more talented than. But he was older and more experienced than and it's the flip yeah. side.
1: Yeah, I can't tell you how honestly those are the most nerve wracking races I have. I have a lot of races where I'm in an area where I know that I have the best time in that race those are the most fearful races because you don't want to get beat by somebody that on paper shouldn't beat you.
0: Yeah. But then again, <laughs> you're, that's, in your mind, you're like,
1: nah, I can't, I can't, that
0: can't happen. Yeah. But that, then again, that's, that's more about the ego than anything else, which, yeah. which by the way, we've got a great episode coming up on uh, getting out of the way of your own ego. I'm really excited about that one. When that's when that gets released, um, I think that'll that'll be a good just a plug for a future episode. But I think what people are most excited about just moving forward in the future is just getting updates from you along the way because I think sports and life are just so synonymous and uh the challenges that we that we feel and for you sports and life it literally is synonymous. So um any any parting words for the for the audience uh on anything you want to share and, and anything else that's been on your mind since May?
1: Oh yeah. First, I want to second what you were saying. Uh, I think of sports as kind of a accelerated mini life. It's kind of like a podcast you had a couple weeks ago with uh, Tellis, I and mean, he was talking about his experience in the military. That's kind of it's kind of similar, different very differing levels of uh, intensity for sure. <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just a mini life. And so going forward, I just appreciate everyone's support and your prayers and your thoughts. I just encourage everybody to keep pushing through everything they're going through and understanding that there is a, uh, there's a reason you're going through it. Um, suffering is life. I, I like it. And <laughs> we'll go from there. <laughs> uh, uh, suffering,
0: suffering is life. And, and that is so we'll, uh, yeah. we'll continue the conversation at another point, but I really enjoyed it today. i I've, Nothing, nothing like starting a day. We, we typically record these podcasts quite early in the morning. So nothing like starting a day, uh, just getting pumped up, having a good conversation. And, uh, again, thank you for all the support to everybody that's been listening, everybody that's been sharing, everybody that's been downloading. Uh, we're on every imaginable platform you can think of from, uh, even Spotify, the people who require a doctoral dissertation to put a podcast up on their platform. Even them, we've got, uh, we've, we're up, we're up and running. So, uh, give us a five star on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to. Give us a subscribe. Uh, if you've got questions, millennial manhood, CIP at gmail.com. And, uh, I look forward to talking to you guys again.